Amen. What a great thought. Good job. Good song. Go ahead and get in your Bible, if you would, please, to Genesis chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one near you. It's got a hard black cover. We will be on page 4. Page 4. Well, what a great God we have. Amen? Uh, he doesn't work everything out like we think He should work them out, but someday when we know what He knows uh, and why He did what we did, we'll agree with Him. God does all things well. And I had intended to do this earlier, but uh, in the rush and jumble of everything in my uh, head, I did not do so. Uh, it was Veterans Day, and Brother Joe, I appreciate your reminder in your prayer, and uh, I do want to pause and let all of those who either are currently serving or are veterans, if you would stand, we would like to give you a uh, round of applause. Thank you for your service. Thank you for your service. I thank God for people who fought and stood so that we could be free to do what we're doing this morning. Uh, recently in Sunday mornings, we started a new series called Great Truths Communicated with Simple Words. Profound things, of course, are best understood by most of us when they are communicated to us through the vehicle of simplicity. And complex things are communicated to us with difficult words. They are often misunderstood and sometimes not understood at all. So what our God does is He makes sure that the most important things to Him are communicated to us simply. In fact, in addition to communicating the most important things simply, He very often repeats those things for added clarity and emphasis. I have a list of 916 verses in our Bible where every word in that verse other than a name or a number is a one-syllable word. And since there are 31,102 verses in our Bible, that means just under 3% of the verses in our Bible are communicated to us with one-syllable words. I personally believe our difficulties in understanding the Bible are more a product of our lack of effort, our failure to understand our own language, and our failure to yield to the Holy Spirit who is our teacher. Previous generations that all of us would consider to be less educated than people are today understood this Bible just fine. And after seeing that list of verses, the Lord stirred my heart and I just looked through that list of simple verses and um, prayerfully picked a group of simple, of great truths that God chose to communicate in simple words. Last week we talked about the peace that Jesus did not come to bring. And in simplest terms, Christ taught us that He did not come to bring external peace, His person, His gospel, and the priorities that He taught His disciples to live by would bring division between us and the world. But thankfully, Christ did come to bring internal peace, and His person, His salvation, and His words, they produce great unity among those of us who believe. But as we arrive at our thought for today... There are a lot of people who think grace is something that suddenly appeared in the New Testament with Jesus Christ. And in their own mind, they errantly have concluded that God was somehow different in the Old Testament than He is in the New Testament. Hear me when I say God has always been the same. 
Hebrews says Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Malachi says, uh, I am the Lord, I change not. Now, some would be shocked to learn that the word grace actually appears 39 times in the Old Testament and the word gracious an additional 29 times. There's certainly no debate that Jesus Christ is gracious or that He came to bring grace and truth. Uh, in fact, many of us have heard the acronym uh, for grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. That's clever. It's certainly true. But the truth of the matter is, is that if I passed out a piece of paper and you grabbed one of the pens from a chair in front of you and I ask you what, to, what it means when you say God's riches at Christ's expense, the vast majority of here wouldn't even be able to write anything. Few would be surprised at me saying God spoke about His grace in the simplest terms. Grace, actually, in its most basic biblical definition, really just means getting something good we did not deserve. Some would be surprised to hear that God spoke about His grace in the simplest terms in the earliest chapters of the Bible, long before the New Testament. Many would be surprised to learn the first mention of God's grace is linked to how a righteous man found peace with God, lived for God, and kept his family safe in an incredibly wicked and idolatrous culture. Unless you have completely detached yourself from society, which I'd recommend not doing, most of us grow weary of the constant news reports of ongoing violent and inhumane acts going on somewhere in America. Most of us grow weary watching American Christianity drift into worldliness, shallowness, and careless Christian living. Most of us grow weary of the constant attacks on basic moral issues like identifying with the gender God chose for us or having only natural affection. Romans 1 describes affection for someone of the same gender as unnatural affection. In fact, if you're somebody who watches television, and I do watch television, you'll find it extremely rare. In fact, I could not list even one single case where a husband and wife on TV are happily married, the husband is a strong leader, and the family practices their faith in Christ sincerely. I couldn't name one. What that means, in effect, is that our world, which is basically completely linked to entertainment, uh, never see, or maybe there's an example here and there I'm not aware of, but they never see what a biblical home is really supposed to be like. Now, both saved and unsaved people respond to this constant barrage of immorality, false doctrine, in many different ways. Some are angry, and for the most part, stay angry. But Christian people are not supposed to live angry. Some are worried, and for the most part, stay worried. But Christian people are not supposed to worry. Some are so discouraged, they've given up hope on America, hope on the Lord's churches, and on the coming generation of young adults. I, you may not agree, but I get sick of people griping about this generation of young adults. By the way, it's always people griping who raised them. Amen? 
Listen, Christian people are always supposed to have hope in God. Listen, I agree America is more wicked than she's ever been, but I do not believe that today is the most wicked time in human history. In fact, I believe we can find much more than just wickedness as we look around America today and in the generation of young adults. Vultures find nothing when they look but rotting flesh. Hummingbirds, when they look at the same scene, find nothing but flowers. Did you know there's something you can find today that will get you and your family through these wicked times? If you're able to stand, if you would stand, please, this morning in honor of God's Word. The title of my thought this morning is Finding Grace in a Dark Day. Finding Grace in a Dark Day. Genesis chapter 6. We begin to read in verse 5. It says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I've created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping thing, and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted His way upon the earth. Thank you, might be seated. One of the Bible stories that atheists and skeptics mock most after the story of Jonah is the story of Noah and the worldwide flood. They don't mock this story because of geological evidence, but rather because they don't want to consider an omnipotent God who would judge the world and destroy all living things that breathed air outside of Noah's ark. By the way, if there was a global flood, we would expect to find billions and billions of dead things laid down by water in rock layers all over the globe. And no surprise to those of us who believe the Bible, that's exactly what we find. The global flood and Noah's Ark are subjects that are of great interest to me personally. You may not care about them at all, but if you are interested, there's several good books in our bookstore on those subjects. But for this morning, my, my interest is not in the geological or practical evidence for a global flood or how the animals fit on the ark. My interest this morning begins with a statement God makes in the simplest terms about Noah. Did you catch it in verse 8? But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. With one syllable words other than Noah's name, God makes clear how Noah and his family survived not just the flood, but how Noah and his family lived righteously in a world that was so bad that God severely judged it. I think for the most part, we're far more familiar with the ark and the animals that God sent two by two to Noah and the ark than we are familiar with the world that prompted God's judgment to fall on our planet. Whether people like it or not, Noah's Ark and the global flood are real history. 
They're not just an allegory. Whether people like it or not, our Creator is a holy God who loves righteousness and He judges the wicked and the ungodly. And if you and I are going to understand the significance of Noah finding grace in God's sight, then you and I must look at what was going on in Noah's day that prompted such severe judgment from God upon the earth. What was the world like when God flooded and destroyed everything that breathed air outside the ark? Notice in verse 5 it says, And God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth. What was the world like? The wickedness of man was great. Though the ten moral commandments of God had not yet been written at Sinai, man's conscience in Noah's day bore witness to what God defines as right and wrong. Listen, uh, it is in man's conscience that there is one God who deserves our obedient worship. It is in man's conscience that human life is valuable and it is wrong to kill. It is in man's conscience that the link of marriage union between a man and his wife is sacred and that man ought not to commit adultery. That's in human conscience. It is in the human conscience that people's personally prop, personal property is valuable and that you ought not to steal. It is in man's conscience that there is something to be said for integrity and that you have no business lying or being dishonest. Those are all written on man's conscience. Every human being including in Noah's day, long before Moses and Mount Sinai and God speaking His moral laws audibly from that mountain, long before that, man knew exactly what was right and wrong. In fact, not just man's conscience. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5 describes Noah as a preacher of righteousness. And so it wasn't simply that man in that day had the internal witness of their conscience. In that day, God also had human voices, one of which was Noah, preaching what was right and wrong. See, the problem then was not that people didn't know what their Creator defines as right and wrong. The problem is they didn't want to do it. See, the wickedness in our world today is likely nothing like the wickedness in Noah's day. By the way, there are far more than eight righteous people today counterbalancing all the wickedness. But it's not just the wickedness of man was great when we think about the world in that day. Notice man's imagination and thoughts were continually evil. The second half of verse 5 says in that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. You see, in the end, both our words and our actions come out of what we harbor in our heart and mind. And the corruption of Hollywood and Disney and nearly every entertainment outlet that exists is, comes from the fact that the content creators of those places have a heart that is corrupted and their imagination is continually only on evil. You want to know why they try to jam all that business down our throats about unnatural affection and transgenderism being acceptable? You want to tell you why? Their imagination is corrupted. Though his culture was wicked and thought only evil, Noah, in verse 9, says, was a just man, perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. How in the world could Noah do that in a time like that? See, what was the time like? Notice in verse 11, the earth was corrupt and filled with violence. It says the earth, in verse 11, was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. 
Though I don't personally believe violence and entertainment is as big of a corrupting influence as immorality, there's far too much graphic violence in video games, in movies, and on our television sets. By the way, large cities have always had places that were violent and unsafe after dark. But in our day, listen, uh, there's a lot of places they're not safe in the daylight. I mean, people pushing people in front of trains and subways. People carjacking people. People going into stores and just crashing in the, in, in, in the windows and breaking everything, just walking out. L- l- listen, our culture is filled with violence. But hear me when I say, though our culture is far too violent, I do not believe our culture to be anywhere near as violent as it was in Noah's day. But it wasn't just they were corrupt and filled with violence in verse 12. As we consider the world of Noah's day, it says, And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had, and I underlined this phrase, corrupted his way upon the earth. Mankind had corrupted God's way. Mankind has always wanted his own way. <laughs> and our God has always had a way he wants man to live. God has always had a way He wants man to believe. God has always had a way He wants man to prioritize and handle life. And in the end, God's way is, of course, good for us. God's way in Noah's day was not simply rejected. It had been corrupted. God's way had been twisted. It had been warped by man and devil so that the narrow way to life was hidden and maligned. Now many of us lament the way truth is watered down and maligned in our culture. In fact, I think you'd agree agree with me when I say it is a terrible thing when you can go to places all over America that are called churches and find different messages on key issues. Something is deeply wrong. But that's nothing new. Noah's day was characterized by corruption of God's way and likely far more so than today. But in the middle of that violent, wicked, and religiously corrupted world of Noah's day was a righteous man and his family named Noah. In verse 8, we we read, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Have you ever really stopped to consider the fact that Noah had brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles, nieces and nephews? who had given in to the corruption of the day. Look at chapter 5 and verse 28. It says, And Lamech lived in 180 and two years, and begat a son. He called his name Noah, saying, The same shall comfort us concerning our work and toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord hath cursed. And Lamech lived after he begat Noah 590 years, and he begat sons and daughters. Noah had aunts and uncles. He had cousins. He had brothers and sisters. He had nieces and nephews. In every one of those cases, they had been corrupted with the wickedness and violence of their day. 
But Noah and his wife and his three sons and their wives had not given in to the ungodliness of that day. By the way, I'm sure as Noah thought about his generation and his family, it grieved him for the way his aunts and uncles and brothers and sisters and cousins and nieces and nephews lived. I'm sure it grieved him as he thought about what they were doing when he compared it to the Creator that he knew and the righteous message that he was preaching. I'm sure he was concerned about their influence on his children. I'm sure he was deeply hurt and moved when Noah and his family went into the ark and the Bible says God closed the door. I'm sure it moved him deeply in his heart when God closed the door so that everyone who went in was safe in the ark that pictures Christ. And everyone who was outside of the ark was lost and judged in the terrible flood that came. And he thought about his friends and his neighbors and his family who were judged and taken in in the terribleness of his day. Hear me when I say if Noah could find grace in a time so wicked that God destroyed the world because of it, hear me, you and I can find grace today too. You and I have the light of the moral commandments of God in the words of the prophets. You and I have the example in the light of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ and the complete written words of the New Testament. How much more? And how much more easily ought you and I find grace today than Noah and his family did back then? And so in the simplest of terms, our Creator gives us the secret to living justly and righteously in a wicked world. We must find grace in the eyes of the Lord. In the simplest terms, our Creator gives us the secret to influencing our immediate family for God in a wicked world. We must find grace in the eyes of the Lord. In the simplest terms, our Creator gives us a secret to walking with God as Noah did in a wicked world. We must find grace in the eyes of the Lord. Listen, no one here wants to have your family or your friends or your neighbors or anyone who's dear to you swallowed up in the darkness of our culture. And what that means is you and I here this morning, if you're a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ, we must find a way to find grace in the eyes of the Lord so that we can be to our generation and our families what Noah was to his. What I'd like to do this morning for just a few minutes is make some observations and applications of finding grace in the eyes of the Lord. Please first go in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Here's our first application. Here's number one. We must find the grace of God in Christ so we can be saved. We must find the grace of God in Christ so that we can be saved. And probably some of the most familiar words of the New Testament, if they're not familiar to you, they ought to become so. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, we read, For by grace are you saved through faith. How do you get saved? By grace through faith. That not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Did you hear that? It is the gift of God. By the way, if you could lose your salvation, then it wasn't a gift, it was a loan. By the way, if you got your salvation by working, then it isn't a gift, it's a wage. 
In fact, in verse 9, he goes specifically on to say that we are saved not of works, lest any man should boast. By the way, that means there's no boasting in life that you're saved because you deserved it. What that also means is someday in eternity when we're with our great God in that golden city, uh, no one will say, I'm here because I earned my way here. Everyone who's there will be there by grace through faith as a gift from God. Remember, grace is getting something good we do not deserve, and the undeserved favor of God in sal- begins with our own salvation. We are not saved by works. The salvation of God is a gift given by the grace of God. Listen, salvation is a good thing God gives to undeserving sinners who humble themselves to trust Christ instead of their works. By the way, let me ask you, what are you trusting? If you're here today, and I hope it doesn't happen, but if you were to die today, why should God let you in His golden city? What would you say? Listen, if any part of your answer has something to do with some kind of a work, whether it was being baptized or joining a church or giving your money or being kind, or if, any, if your answer has anything to do with some of your works, you're missing what salvation is about. Salvation is the gift of God given to us by grace through the Lord Jesus Christ. Say, so Brother Wally, I don't need salvation well, then you've really not considered who you are. God's not comparing you to me or you to your neighbor or you to your worst brother or sister. God's comparing all of us to the perfect moral laws of God as lived by the Lord Jesus Christ. And that simply leaves us as all guilty sinners before God all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Because no person can save themselves, and because even our good works have some mingled selfish motives, they are filthy rags when we try to offer them to a thrice holy God for salvation. Most people think they offer God some kind of good work to earn eternal life, but that never works. Above the entryway to the gate, to the concentration camp Auschwitz, were these words, Arbeit macht frei. Those mean works, work makes free. See, the idea of that sign is that work will liberate you and give you freedom. And it was a lie and a false hope to anyone in those camps. And the Nazis tried to make people think that what they were doing was going to liberate them. But in fact, in the end, it brought them horrifying pain and oftentimes death. Our bite mocked fry has been the spiritual lie of every age. It is a satanic lie. It is a religious lie. It is a false hope and dream of religions all over the world that someday they will stand before God and be able to say, you owe me the right to enter into your heaven. The fact of the matter is, it's the love and truth and grace of God that sets people free, not our works. Let me ask you this morning, have you ever personally acknowledged your sinful condition to humble yourself and believe in the Lord Jesus and repent? 
If you just repeated some prayer and didn't have a changed heart. If you're here today and Christ has not given you any kind of desires for the things of God, something's wrong. Christ changes every heart and every life in which He lives. Listen, I'm not implying He changes every heart uh, and the way we live to the same degree, but He changes every heart. By the way, this morning, if you've not done that, this morning's a good time to do that. In fact, in a few moments, we will invite you to salvation through Christ. No, wasn't saved because it was just man compared to his peers. He was forgiven because he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Next, please go in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. See, when we link grace only to salvation, we sell grace short. Though salvation is by grace, there is much more in life linked to the grace of God. Remember, grace is getting something good we do not deserve. Which brings us to our second thing. Number two, we must find the grace of God in Christ to live and labor like we should in an ungodly world. Paul makes an interesting observation in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 9 when he says, For I am the least of the apostles, then I'm not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. You ought to highlight this phrase in your Bible, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. In other words, He worked harder than all the other apostles. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. You see, grace is obviously associated with salvation, but grace is also associated with other things in addition to our salvation. Grace is not something we need at salvation, but never need any further after we trust Christ for forgiveness. Here, grace is getting anything good we do not deserve. And Paul here says that he was called to be an apostle by the grace of God. God didn't look down someday and say, wow, that Paul, he's successful in his political career. Wow, that Paul, he is one of the highly educated and most intelligent people around to be sitting at the feet of Gamaliel and trained there at the highest mind of their day. Wow, look at all of his success. Look at his character. Look at his zeal. That, that's not what happened. God looked down and he didn't give Paul apostleship because he worked and earned it. He gave it to him by grace. Grace is getting something good we do not deserve. By the way, Paul acknowledges that he worked harder in ministry than the other apostles, but he recognized that the will to work hard, the strength to work hard, and the health to work hard still was by the grace of God. Did you catch that? The end of verse 10, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was in me, was with me. It, Paul didn't even take credit for his hard work. <laughs> you see, when you and I fail to recognize that anything in us we accomplish that's good is because of the grace of God rather than because we deserve it. When we recognize that, we will actually finally begin to grow and be humble. 
See, as long as we think we deserve everything we get that's good, as long as we still keep asking, why do bad things happen to good people, instead of asking, why does a good thing happen to any of us, we will never fully be as humble and as teachable and growing like we should. I'm glad this morning our God, our Creator is a gracious God, and He loves to give good things to those who do not deserve them. Listen, any gifts and calling and ministry we have, they come from God because of His grace. None of us have earned them. If you think for a moment that I earned standing here this morning because of some work that I did in private or some work that I did in public, you have the wrong idea. I stand here this morning because of the grace of God. Listen, God didn't look back and look in some... Michigan rural farm and say, wow, there's a poor kid who deserves to become an engineer and rise above poverty. God didn't say, wow, there's a guy I saved who tried hard, therefore I'm going to make him a youth pastor and bless that ministry. Therefore, I'm going to have him plant a church and bless that church. That is not at all what happened. Anything good in my life that has ever happened, the mind, the strength, the mind, anything I have today is the gift of God by grace through Christ. By the way, the blessing of God in Bible Baptist Church over the last 16 years when we came from 21 metal chairs in the UAW to today is not because me, my family, or the core of this people sacrificed and labored for this to be so. We do not deserve this. Though there have been a lot of people who sacrificed for Christ in this ministry, we are what we are by the grace of God. There's no person that ought to look around at the nice facility that God has given to us, or faithful men and women of all ages, including teenagers and young adults. There's no reason that we have that all the way up to people in their 80s who still have passion for God. There's no reason we have that but by the grace of God. God has given us more than we deserve. We have found grace in the eyes of the Lord. See, too much credit that belongs to God is taken by individual believers who are what they are, they think, by their hard work and good choices. Listen, I do believe we ought to work hard and make good choices. But those who work hard and make good choices have what they have because of the grace of God, not their hard work and good choices. Let me ask you, as a believer, have you come to the place where you recognize that you are what you are by the grace of God? If you were born in a family that taught you to work and have good character, it's because of the grace of God. If you were born in a family that let you be lazy and didn't teach you any character, and yet today you've figured out how to work hard and build your character, it's because of the grace of God. If you've overcome false religion or no religion at all to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and have, salva and have salvation and sound doctrine, it is because of the grace of God. If you were placed by our Creator in a home that drug you to church from the womb of your mother, Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and modeled what it means to follow Jesus in your home, you are what you are by the grace of God. Anyone here, including me, who has any good in their life or ministry, it is not because of our goodness. 
is because of the goodness of God that manifests itself in the grace that God gives us to give us more than we deserve in life and in ministry. In fact, I will testify the better over the years I have gotten to know God and understand myself, the more I recognize that I am what I am and have what I have because God gave me so much more than I ever deserved. Listen, it'll completely transform our attitude and our thanksgiving when we recognize we are anything we are that's good by the grace of God. By the way, why did God place your soul in America instead of some obscure, remote tribe in the South American jungle? Listen, I do believe America has become a much more wicked place than she ever was, but it's still the best place on the planet. Why did God put you here? Well, why did God reach out to you through Christ? Why did He forgive you when you called upon the Lord? Why did God give you anything you have that's good? I'll tell you why. It is because you found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah didn't build a historic boat and survive a historic flood because he deserved it. He found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Which gets us to our last thing this morning. Please, if you would go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We must find the grace of God in Christ to be saved. We must find the grace of God in Christ, to recognize that all we have and are that's good comes to us from God and His grace. And lastly, this morning, number three, we must find the grace of God in Christ to not give up hope in an ungodly world. It's kind of interesting here what Paul, in a, what I would consider to be a more obscure statement, says about hope. Have you ever realized how powerful hope is? There's almost nothing worse than to get in the place of your life or in some situation where you would say, I, I don't have hope anymore. Notice what he says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 16. He says, Now our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation, and good hope through grace. Comfort your hearts. Establish you in every good word and work. Did you see that phrase in the end of verse 16? That God has given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace. Here's the last thing. We must find the grace of God in Christ and not give up hope. <laughs> grace is associated with salvation. Grace is associated with living a godly life. And grace is associated with being hopeful. Grace is getting something good we do not deserve. And the good hope we have through grace is given to us through our Heavenly Father. You know, one of the problems in America is that many Americans have lost hope in the future of America. You know, one of the problems in our churches, and it grieves me when I hear spiritual leaders fueling this, I don't know, if I was young, I wouldn't even have kids. Shut, shut, shut up, sir. Shut up. Listen. 
We could pull out news story after news story of terrible injustice. We could pull out news story after news story of abuse of authority. We, we could pull out news story after news story of the terrible trends and the education system and what goes on in political circles and how the mainstream media just covers it all up. We could go on and on. But I'm going to say to you what I've said to you so many different times. You and I have been placed in a day and age on purpose. God did not place you and I in America in 2022 because you and I were destined to abandon Christ, destined to give up hope, destined to not live a just life, destined to no longer preach righteousness, destined to no longer walk with God. Listen, God placed you and I where we are on purpose, whether you're here today and you're 90, or whether you're here today and you're 9, God placed us here on purpose because there is a way by grace that you and I can make it and have hope in our dark world. I know our politicians do everything they can to anger everyone to motivate their base. I know that there's clickbait on every website of every sort that will take you from everything from immorality to attacks on anything you can imagine. I know. We live in a day and age when both parents and teenagers spend hours a day on their social media. You don't have time to read your Bible, but, but you have time for Facebook. You don't have time for 15 or 20 minutes of prayer, but you checked all your social media stuff. And the only person you're kidding when you say, I'm too busy to do X or Y that God has asked for us, the only person you're kidding is yourself. God placed us in a time when it seems like there's no one good left. Or no one's doing good anymore. And you and I need hope from God by grace. We need to get our hope back. Hope back for our country. Listen, America's not gone yet. So did you pay attention to what happened Wednesday? Uh, enough to know what happened. But not so much to let it ruin my day. Listen, I know there is moral and spiritual compromise in pulpits and churches all over our country, but there are still spiritual leaders and churches who stand firm on the faith of the Scriptures. You and I need grace to let ourselves see that and be part of it. I know most of the founding principles and Judeo-Christian values on which our country was formed are under attack. But you know what? There are still some people in the public arena defending those values. And you and I need grace and hope to see that and be part of it. I know. Evening news is one terrible tragedy after the other. And by the way, if a news station could run all good news and have an audience, someone would make it. But the fact of the matter is, is not just everybody out there in this room. You wouldn't watch a news station with all good stuff on it. Say, who do you think I am? A corrupt human being. Who has anything that's good in you by the grace of God. That's what I think. 
I know. Followers of Jesus have gotten to the place where they feel there's no hope for this generation. But that darkness and despair is not of the Lord. There is good hope and grace available through Christ. Listen, if Noah could be a just man and win his family to Christ in the most wicked time in history, you and I can do so today by the grace of God. If Noah could walk with God and preach righteousness in the most wicked time in history, a time that was so filled with violence, so filled with corruption, so filled when the imagination of every man's heart was continually evil, so filled with corruption of God's life. Listen, if Noah could walk with God and preach righteousness in that day and age and win his family, you and I can do that in ours too. If we will let ourselves find good hope through grace. Grace in the eyes of the Lord. We can walk with God. We can be just in an unjust world. We can stand for and preach and live righteousness in a world that hates righteousness. The great truth of grace Communicated in the simplest terms, you and I can find grace in the eyes of our Creator. Grace to be saved. Grace to have more in life than we deserve and to be what we're supposed to be. And grace to remain hopeful. Amen? Amen. If you would quietly stand.